You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you're here with us at Calvary. So let me tell you, uh, a few years ago, I was headed to a conference with a couple of our pastors and staff here from the church. And uh, one of our pastors was getting dropped off at the airport. The rest of the pastors were getting picked up by me. And then I was driving uh, to the airport. So we drove uh, together. Now, the thing that you have to understand is that uh, the day that we bought the tickets, we were having this whole conversation about how the Fort Lauderdale airport is better than MIA. So thank you. Thank you. Now, and, and once again, the reason is, is because most people don't know about Fort Lauderdale who are flying in. They fly into Miami, which is a complete zoo, um, and because it's just like people coming from all over the world. And so Fort Lauderdale is like this sleepy little airport that only we know about. Um, and so anyway, and so, any, so we had that whole conversation that Fort Lauderdale was better. And so uh, anyway, the morning of the flight, my assistant sends me the boarding passes and all the flight info. I pick everybody up and we head to the airport. Now we're running a little bit late and it is raining uh, that morning in a way that it can only rain in South Florida. And so it's raining hard. Everybody's driving slow. Um, my assistant sends me a text like, hey, you're cutting it a bit close. And I say, look, it's raining. There's nothing I can do. And so what he does is he says, really? And so he takes a picture from the airport and it is totally clear skies. And we're getting to the point where, you know, when you're driving on 595 uh, going east, you're getting uh, right to 95 where you've got to make a decision, you know. And I say to Pastor George, who was just here singing, and I say, George, can you text him? And I don't know why I had this thought. I'm like, could you text him and ask him what airport he's at? And so he responds with one word, Miami. My next action, I didn't even respond to the text. He just said, he says he's in Miami. I cut off three lanes of traffic to get onto I-95 because now I'm 30 minutes away from an airport and my flight leaves in less than an hour. So I get on I-95. I, my next order of business um, is, which by the way, is going to be to yell at the guy at the airport, uh, which he, by the way, denies to this day. Uh, that, and I'm like, I sent, he's like, I sent you all the information, and all of it said Miami. And I'm like, yes, but we all agreed that Fort Lauderdale was better. And he's like, yeah, I agree that Fort Lauderdale is better too, but that doesn't change the fact that we bought the tickets to Miami, and I sent you all that info. And I'm like, do not sass your pastor. And so anyway, so there's still this little problem of getting to the airport. So I get into one of the express lanes, in uh, on 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 95, which hadn't which had just opened uh, maybe uh, six months before or so, and I am driving as motivated as possible, and that's when Pastor George says to me, now he's in the front seat of the car, and he says, Pastor Bob, one of the things that you need to know is that the speed lane doesn't let you off before the airport exit, and and I'm like George, God will make a way. Um, either that or those plastic strips don't stand a chance. 
And so, and, and uh, it, it, he was, he's, he's so, poor guy. I mean, and uh, he was so nervous. And so we're getting close. He's like, it's, it's a mile away. And I'm like, all right, I'm good. And, uh, and he's like, you do understand what I told you. There's no, there's no opening. And I'm like, there will be. And, uh, and so we're getting close. He's like, it's half a mile. It's a quarter of a mile. And I'm like, and then he's like, and then he just grabs the steering wheel. I don't know what he's doing. He's like, okay, I'm ready. Do what you're going to do, but I'm ready. Well, anyway, if you drive down 95 uh, and right before the, the uh, you, on the express lane and you see an opening right before the airport exit, you're welcome. So now... <laughs> Here's the thing that we love. I mean, I love telling that story, but um, here's the thing. We love when God makes a way. We love when God heals someone miraculously or when God provides in a way that we know it could only be him. I mean, those are my favorite stories. Those are the, sto- my fa- the stories that I love to tell and, and share with you. But see, there are other stories. There are stories that don't get repeated as much, stories that don't get reposted on social media. And truth be told, they're the stories that kind of make us wonder. There are stories of faith when the outcome isn't what we hoped it would be. There are stories of when the person believes in faith but isn't healed, at least not from our perspective. It's stories of when the person doesn't come around or change or do the right thing. Stories when we don't see the victory. And and once again, from our perspective, it just looks like a defeat. And by the way, the important thing for us to note is just because we don't see the victory doesn't mean that there isn't one. But it probably means we haven't looked far enough into eternity. But here's why I bring this up is because if you've been with us, then you know this. If you haven't, then let me fill you in really quick. And that is that we've been studying through the book of Hebrews for, if you can believe it, the last four months. I think this is our 15th or 16th message in Hebrews. We're doing our best to leave no stone unturned, um, which once again, Hebrews, if you're not aware, is the most theologically dense book in the New Testament. It was written to a group of Jewish Christians going through a difficult season And they're asking this question, if God loves me, why is life so hard? And I know all of us can relate to that at one time or another. And the answer to that question becomes this very eloquent letter that is very theologically dense that serves as an encouragement for them to do the one thing that's going to help when you're going through a season of difficulty, and that is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And throughout this book, the writer has been telling us that Jesus is better than anything else that we could put our trust in. And over the first 10 chapters of the book, he outlines that. And then the writer begins to shift because he's like, I know I've I've shared with you a lot of principles, but now I want to share it to you in picture form. And he walks through Israel's history, picking each and every person through Israel's history and showing them how they modeled this kind of faith, faith that lived people that live by faith in the midst of difficult circumstances. And every week we've been looking at people who had victorious, triumphant faith, where God showed up and at sometimes God even showed off what he could do. And then this message comes to a crescendo of that, but it doesn't end the way that we thought, right? With a, with a message that says, you know, even when you walk in faith, you know, everything's going to work out. That's not how the writer decides to bring this to a crescendo Instead, the writer says, even when things don't work out, real faith never stops trusting. Because once again, real faith is always trusting in a a person, the person. Jesus, not in the end result. And uh, people who can be faithful 
even when the big victory doesn't happen in this life, are the greatest heroes of all when it comes to faith. And what the writer does, uh, the, the, the message that the writer wants us to walk away with is, is that because those who originally received this letter, that's what they needed to hear. They were under tremendous persecution, and we're going to talk about that in our next message, uh, what kind of persecution they were dealing with. And um, so, but I, I think the important thing for us is if, if you're here and you are struggling, the struggle doesn't mean that you're sinning. The struggle doesn't mean that God, uh, you know, that God isn't with you. It just might mean that God is going to show up a little differently because the greatest heroes of faith are those who are looking for God, not an outcome. And the legacy of their faithfulness is still encouraging us to walk by faith today. So we're going to start in the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open with me, uh, or you can grab your notes or on the Calvary app or the outline uh, up on the screen. We're going to start in verse 30 of Hebrews 11. And it says this, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the, Rahab, the, Rahab, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want you to note, and that is this, if we're going to talk about graduate level faith, and the first is this, that faith doesn't stop until it happens. Faith doesn't stop. Faith doesn't give up until it happens. Now, both of these verses are in reference to what God did at Jericho. And one of the things, that God did a really big thing at Jericho. And then God did something very granular at, in Jericho. And that is saving one family uh, who believed that God had given the people of Israel this land. And so the way that it worked, if you're familiar with the story, is that every morning the children of Israel had to wake up, put on their running shoes, and walk about half a mile around the city of Jericho. On the seventh day, they had to walk seven times around, which was about a three and a half mile walk. Now, I want you to think about this because I think it's important for us to understand as well is that God is asking them to do a repetitive task that doesn't really make a lot of sense from their perspective. And I want you to notice that God isn't asking them to do anything that's impossible or anything that's unreasonable. Here's what he's asking them to do. All I'm asking you to do is be committed and do something that's very, very doable. And one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the main disciples of Jesus, John, in his letter to the church in 1 John 5, here's what he said, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now this is really important because most of the time we think that God is doing things to us when in reality God is doing things for us. And that is a very big difference. And the minute that you can make that shift, when you realize, why is God doing this to me? No, instead, why is God doing this for me in this season? What is it that God is trying to build in me? Everything begins to change. So in our family, we talk about this kid whose name was Dexter. And, um, now, Dexter has become a cautionary tale in our, in our family. No, it's not based on the TV show. Uh, but when we were in Orlando uh, probably about 18 months ago, and we went to Target. I don't know how you guys do it, but whenever we go out of town, we, uh, we, we get to a place, and then the first thing we do is we go to Target, and we buy, like, supplies and breakfast stuff, because there is no way I'm paying the hotel prices for, uh, you know, it's like, hey, how much is that bagel? $12. Really? I didn't know. What kind of drugs are you selling? Anyway, um, so we don't, we don't do that, especially when, you know, 
So, and, all right. so we go to Target to get supplies, but my son and I stopped by the toy section of Target and to take a look around, and I'm so glad that we did. Because when we got there, there was this mom and her five-year-old son in an argument about what was going to happen next. And by the way, just, if you're not a parent, let me just tell you something. Parents love seeing other parents arguing with their children. We love it. We'd never admit it, but we love it. And the reason why we love it is because we walk away and we think, wow, I'm not the only one. Maybe I'm not a bad parent after all. So there's, there's this sense of, you know, I don't know, we feel like we're in the struggle together. But anyway, so we walk up and there's this mom uh, arguing with her son and she's like, Dexter, we're leaving Dexter. Don't make me come and get you, Dexter. You're not going to like it if I get you, Dexter. Don't make me say your name again, Dexter. Let's go, Dexter. And my son and I were just there. We're like, like, do the right thing, Dexter. You know, I mean, but, and, and, and first of all, I'd never heard someone's name mentioned that many times in four sentences. And, um, but a min- I mean, I, literally, she goes into the aisle and then, you know, walks in. And we can't see her because we're standing at the end. And then she comes out with Dexter under her arm. And the kid looks like, you know, if, if you ever bought like a six-foot party sub and you walked out of it, that's what Dexter looked like. I mean, just kind of the way you'd walk out at, out of Publix. And, um, and so and it, was, it was honestly like the most hilarious thing ever. And I, yeah, I probably shouldn't laugh at Dexter's plight, but come on, you just, some things are just hilarious. And so, uh, but the, and, and here's the thing, right? Like if you're in Orlando, like you've driven or flown or whatever it is that people do to get there. Um, you got to get a pretty good idea as to where you're headed, right? And like, there's a lot of places you can go in Orlando, and almost all of them are better than Target. And 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 here's my point, and this has kind of become in our family uh, like this cautionary tale. Like, you know, when you get called Dexter, it means that you are uh, being obstinate for the, a good thing that's coming. And I, I firmly believe that God is trying to work in our lives, and He's saying like, like, come on, Dexter, let's go, Dexter, or fill in your name. And, and, but, and, but he's not going to drag you. Instead, what God wants to do is that he wants to lead you. And sometimes he's asking us to do things that feel repetitive and might not even make sense. And we go around the city one time, and then maybe we go around the city a second time, and then maybe we go around the city a third time, and then we start having a bad attitude because nothing has happened yet. And then sometimes we think that, you know, listen, sometimes we need to do the right things even if our feelings have not caught up yet to the actions, because with, ex- with experience sometimes comes understanding. The point is that God might be telling you to go once around the city every morning and you haven't seen the victory yet, and that doesn't mean the victory isn't coming. It could mean that God wants to do a work in you before he does the work through you, and God is preparing his people for victories in the land, and that involves obeying his voice and knowing that he's the one that's going to do it. Listen, right now, God, how, the way that God is preparing you for the next season of your life is what's happening right now. And sometimes it feels like very repetitive. And, it, and, and I don't know if you've ever had this moment. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Groundhog Day. And I think one of the reasons I love Groundhog Day so much is how often I feel like I'm living in it. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've, you've, you've had like, you know, you kind of wake up, I got you, babe, right? Have you seen, anybody seen this movie? Okay, I'm just making sure that I'm not the only person here, and now I'm singing Sonny and Cher, and nobody gets it. By the way, five points if you knew if that, that, that was Sonny and Cher. And so, but the, the, the point is this, is that we get up, and we're kind of doing the same thing every morning, and then we're saying this, this isn't working, so I may as well just give up. Listen, the walls don't come down. 
if you only go around once for six days. It's why the Apostle Paul said to us, uh, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And it's this principle I've shared with you many times that God's delays are not God's denials. That just because you can't see God at work right now does not mean that he's not working. That faith is about believing that God is telling the truth. That is the definition of faith, acting like God is telling the truth. And the test is doing it over and over. The thing that we're we're called to do, doing it over and over because you know that God called you. And you won't give up because you're convinced that God is telling the truth. Well, just to tell you what happened in the story in Joshua chapter 6, it says, But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawn of the day, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day, only they marched around the city seven times, and the seventh time it happened. When the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. I want you to notice something that it tells us there in verse 16. It says that it happened. And there's this thing that all of us want to happen. And whatever it is, all of us, and, and we're kind of waiting for it to happen. And I want you to notice how it happens for them. The walls fell when they continued to be faithful, even when they didn't see anything happening, because that's what faith does. It believes and acts like God is telling the truth. And one of the things that, once again, just kept them circling around the walls is that God had already told them, I have given you the city, not I will give you the city. I have given you the city. And that's why after seven times, the people had to yell, the Lord has given you the city. Not the Lord will give us the city. The Lord has given us the city. And then the walls came down. You don't get the promise on day two or day three or even day six or even the fourth, fifth, or sixth lap on the seventh day. You know, I'm not a NASCAR fan. If you are, that's fine. Um, But one of the things that I'm not a NASCAR fan, but I really do like the movie Cars, which is basically the same thing. And so, but life is not like NASCAR where there's a sign that says number of laps left, right? We don't have that. Life doesn't give us that. We don't know how many laps are left before God's going to do the thing that he promised to do. And some of us, listen, I really believe we quit and there's only one lap to go. But I want to tell you something, that God has not forgotten the promise that he gave you. If God has given you a promise, you can be sure that he's going to fulfill it. And it doesn't matter how many laps are left. Our job is to do the thing that we're called to do, walking in faith. Why? Because we believe that the one who promised us is telling us the truth. He goes on in verse 32, and he says this, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, uh, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens, or um, and women received their dead, raised to life again. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing I want to tell you is that faith requires that I do my part. And that is, I think, a, 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 an important part. A lot of times we want God to do something and we're just sitting on our hands and God's like, no, I need you to act like I'm telling the truth. And as we start walking in faith, believing that God is going to fulfill the promise, that's when it happens. Now, there's so much in these verses and I, I'm just going to touch on them because he references a whole bunch of people. So, 
one of the things that he talks about, and these are big victories in, in the Old Testament scriptures, but the first is this, he talks about Gideon. Gideon was a judge in Israel, and he defeated an entire army with only 300 men for the purpose of God, and that's how God directed him to do it, and so that God would get the glory and not the military might of the people who were assembled. He talks about Gideon, he talks about uh, Barak. Uh, Barak's story begins with Deborah. Deborah was uh, a prophetess, and she was the judge of Israel for a number of years. She asks Barak, uh, or Barak, to uh, assemble an army of 10,000 men from only two tribes to fight against the Canaanites, a group of people that were harassing the people of Israel. And God brought a victory to show that he didn't need a lot of people to get the work done. He simply invited the people to walk by faith. Samson is the next one that's mentioned. Samson was a judge in Israel for more than 20 years. Most of us know him because he got the most famous haircut in history. And here's what people misunderstand. They think that when they think of Samson, they think of someone who was built like the rock. And it's not, he's, he wasn't. In fact, if he was built like the rock, people would have known what the secret of his strength was. But instead, he looked like this regular guy. But the Spirit of God would come upon him, and he would do things that were beyond human ability. Jephthah was another judge of Israel right before Samson. His mother was a harlot, and because of that, he was kicked out of his home without an inheritance. And he became a judge and deliverer of Israel despite his background. Once again, proving that God is not a respecter of persons, that anyone who's willing to trust God and walk with him, that person can see God do amazing things in their lives. Now, then we get to some names that we might be familiar with. We, we read about David. Now, David is a name we'd expect to see. And his trust in the Lord began when he was a boy tending his father's sheep, that he killed lions and bears that had attacked his father's flock. And then he took on Goliath after that and killed him with a slingshot. But what I love about David is that it never occurred to David not to trust God. But you know, here's the interesting thing, is that there was a season of David's life where it didn't look like he was going to have a victory. You see, David had the call of God on his life. He had been anointed king of Israel, but it's weird to be anointed king and there's already another king. And he was on the run from the current king of Israel, and once again, if you were to look at David's story kind of halfway through the chapter, you would be like, man, David's got to get right with God. What is, da what is David even doing? I mean, this doesn't seem like the right thing. Why? Because we, have, we, we start making determinations about things halfway through. You see, David's story reminds us not to be quick to judge who's blessed and who's not until we get to the end of the story. Samuel is the next person that's mentioned. He's the only person in this section that isn't a warrior. He was a prophet and a judge over Israel and lived a life of faith that he modeled for others. And, and then the writer gives us descriptions of those that with a Hebrew background or a biblical background would have been quick to know. When it says that there were those who shut the mouth of lions, he's talking about Daniel chapter 6 and what happened in Daniel's life. Those that quenched uh, the the fury of flames, that's in reference to Daniel's three friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and uh, Mishael in Daniel chapter 3. You might know them by their Babylonian, those are their Hebrew names. You might know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, women received their dead raised to life. There's two instances when that happened. And if you're a note taker, you just jot this down. In 1 Kings 17, uh, Elijah brought back the child, uh, 
brought back to life the child of the, the widow of Zarephath. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha did the same uh, for the Shunammite woman's son. But all of these are miraculous, amazing stories of God showing up and doing what only he can do in moments of deep despair. And there are moments where God seemingly from out of nowhere does the miraculous in your life. And it's like, well, why? And here's why. Because he loves you. That's the only reason. Um, and and, I, and I've, I've shared this story in the past, but uh, when I was in, and I was having this conversation with my kids about it this week, and that's what made me think about it. But when I was in college, I had finished college and um, uh, I still owed a little over $2,000 in tuition from my last two semesters. And that's before... Um, you know, you had to pay like a kidney for every semester of college. Um, but I had just gotten married and um, there was supposed to be some help that I was going to get and that kind of fell through. And I had no budget to just kind of pay off this amount. And uh, so I had gotten on this plan and, and my wife and I were getting out of debt. So we were not going to add to credit cards or anything like that. So I, I had just made this decision. We said we're going to spend, it was going to be 50 bucks a month. Now, I couldn't graduate until I had paid it in full. Um, so I couldn't get my degree. I couldn't do anything. My life was on hold um, until I had paid this, paid this thing off, and it was going to take me about three and a half years to do so at the current, at the current rate. Uh, then one day, the dean of the school called me in to his office, and he showed me a piece of paper, and it was all of every class that I had taken. It was uh, all my grades. It was every class, and then usually at the bottom, it would say what your balance was from all the classes, and it was at zero. That someone, and once again, my wife and I had not talked about this with anyone, but someone had paid off my debt. God had put it in somebody's heart to do it, and him or her had decided to do that for me. And listen, to this day, I still have no idea who it was that did me this incredible act of kindness. Um, But here's what the thing that's important to know is that I never took that and said, wow, God is going to do that now with every bill I ever get. So it's like I just spend what I want on credit cards, and then I just pray in faith that God's going to zero me out at the end of the month. Like, right? That, that's, no, that's not how it works. That, uh, uh, the, instead, every person that we have mentioned here was engaged obediently to what God had called them to do. They entered the battle knowing that without God, they were goners. And the thing that gets missed when we talk about faith is that miraculous things tend to happen to people who are walking with God consistently. Listen, that bill that got paid for, 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 for me and, and by my wife, by, for both of us by proxy, I mean, my wife and I were tithing faithfully, serving constantly. And that's not to say that I did that and now God owed me. No, listen, God does what he wants, when he wants, if he wants. That's how it works when you're God. But see, here's what I also know. There's this passage in Second Chronicles that is one that you should commit to memory. It says this. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That right now, God's eyes are scanning the earth looking for people who are loyal to him, that he might show himself strong on their behalf. That does not say that God is looking for perfect people. He's not. He's looking for loyal people, people who even when they make mistakes, they still come back to him and say, God, I messed up, but I, I still, I, I, I want to walk with you and be used by you. They have people who have a heart for him. And yes, even though they stumble, they keep walking with him. And then it gets to, this is the kind of crescendo that he says, this is the second half of verse 35, where he, where he says, uh, women receive their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured not accepting deliverance, 
that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. By the way, that's with rocks, by the way, just because it's 2021. That's an important thing to make a... uh, designation. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom, this should be underlined in your Bible, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. And God, having provided something better for us now, that we should not be, they should not be made perfect apart from us. Last thing that I want to tell you about faith, and that is this, that faith trusts God into eternity. Here's the flip side of faith. The flip side is this, that sometimes God gives you the victory over your circumstance, and other times God is going to give you victory in your circumstance. That the things that the writer is talking about, these are not like theoretical possibilities. These things happen. The person that was stoned to death was the prophet Zechariah, who, by the way, was stoned in the temple. History teaches that it was the prophet Isaiah who was sawn in two the long ways by the most wicked king that Judah ever had, a man by the name of Manasseh, who reigned for 55 years in, in uh, Jerusalem, longer than any other king. It was Elijah who wandered in sheepskins and David who dwelt in caves when he was on the run. And here's what the writer says. Here's his, uh, his report card of these people. He says, the world wasn't worthy of these people because there were moments when God shows up and miraculous, it's miraculous. And there's other times when we're suffering, that doesn't mean that God isn't there. That means that when you're in the fire, he's in the fire with you. If you're going through a trial, he's through in the trial with you, and he won't ever leave you. Because, but if, if we decide that um, if things don't go our way, that's going to be the thing that breaks our faith, then we weren't really people of faith to begin with. We were just looking for God to do something that we couldn't do or we're going home. But when you decide and you say, God, I'm standing with you no matter what, God, you can be sure, has said, and I am standing with you. You see, my friends, that's where an unshakable faith is born. When we decide that we're going to trust God anyway, because we believe that he's working even when we don't see it. Because, once again, it's really hard to judge things mid-story. If you were... When Isaiah died, and he was killed in the most horrendous of ways, it looked like Manasseh won. And Isaiah died. But I wonder if we were to interview Isaiah today, if he would still have the same, we would still have the same feeling all these years later. Like, did Manasseh win? Did Isaiah really lose now after thousands of years in eternity? In fact, I think if we were to ask Isaiah what it looked like, here's, here's I think maybe what he would say from what Paul said in Romans, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And you know, the reality is, is that maybe it's a fiery trial or a difficult season that we've been dealing with as we've begun this new year. That maybe things haven't gone as well as we hoped. We hope when the calendar changed that everything was going to change and everything that was in 2020 has kind of started bleeding into 2021. And maybe we're starting to lose some hope and maybe our faith isn't as strong as it once was. 
Sometimes a challenging time comes into our lives and it causes us to, to walk away from God because we don't think God loves us or somehow he's forgotten us. Let me tell you something, and this is an important thing to note. The measure of God's love for you is not smooth sailing 100% of the time. The measure of his love is that he's in the boat with you no matter the weather. About 18 months ago, um, my wife got a call from her doctor that they had found this mass that they believed uh, could have been cancerous. And so we went in, and they took a sample. They sent it off to the lab, and they said, all right, come back in two weeks, and we'll let you know. And maybe you've experienced something like this. I hope not. It's horrible. Um, But those two weeks of waiting and not knowing and praying and letting kind of trying to not let your mind wander um, are just, it's just brutal. And, you know, praying together and crying together and trying to be strong and trying harder not to let your mind wander because these are the most difficult moments. And some of you know the the story um, that my daughter Mia uh, almost died 10 years ago. Um, and God miraculously healed her. And I mean, it's like all those emotions came back up from 10 years earlier. And the people that we knew that had gone through something like this were just completely amazing. They understood where I was living. I was so grateful for them. And they, they would just call me and encourage me. And they were like, um, you know, it's two weeks. I mean, you can't change it. So what are you going to do in the middle of the two weeks? And then it was 12 days. And they're like, 12 days? I mean, you've done, you've waited for 12 days before. 10 days. I mean, it's a week and a half. I mean, look, a week is gone. You've only got a week left. I mean, you know, don't get ahead. And this is the thing they kept telling me, do not get ahead of this moment because there's something that God wants to do in you in this moment right now. A few weeks ago, I heard that someone at Calvary was going through the same thing. And I mean, I tracked down their number and called them. And I'm like, hey, listen, um, I know where you're living right now. I know where you're living right now. And here's what I want you to know. Two weeks, anybody can do two weeks. 12 days, come on, you've already started. 10 days, it's a week and a half. Look, one week's already gone by. Hey, three more days. I mean, it's a long weekend and then you're gonna have your answer. And, and, and we just, and, and, and here's, the challenge, right? We have this challenge living in the present because some of us um, have this thing where we tend to live in the past and, and it, it prevents us from kind of moving forward. I, like others, um, I have a tendency to kind of live in the future. And the, down, the great side of that is I'm always, you know, we have lots of vision and ideas for what everything could be, right? I see potential in everything. The downside is, is that because I live in the future is I, I have a tendency to uh, kind of create a future in my mind that has no correlation to reality. And I was like, well, what if this happens and then this happens and then this happens? And now I'm kind of walking down a road of, of something and, um, but see... But God was doing something in me that has radically transformed me even now, 18 months later. My life came into focus like it had never come into focus before over those two weeks of uncertainty. Things that bothered me uh, became non-existent and things that I was chasing weren't, uh, didn't become as important because my life became about this one thing that I had a wife who needed me and three kids who needed the, uh, their dad and everything else was going to have to figure itself out. And then we got the news that, hey, no, everything's okay. And by the way, there's, just so you know, everything's okay. And, um, and man, we were crying and rejoicing um, but man, those two weeks, God 
those two weeks were not good, but God was working something in me that was good. Because, listen, the reality is in your life, not everything that happens is good. And what you're going through right now might not be good, but here's what you can know, is that God is working something good in you. And I want you to know that, that what you're experiencing might not be good, what you're feeling might not be good, but you can know for absolute certainty that God is working everything for good. Good that we'll see when he brings victory or good that we see when he prepares us for eternity because the story never ends in this life because there's an eternity that God has prepared for us. And you know why? Because he's for you and because he's going to work all of it out for his good and for your good. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that promise. And God, our hope is that we would be people who are faithful and trust you, even when we don't see the answer that we want, that that would not be the thing that moves us or breaks us or shakes us. God, we want to have a faith that is unshakable, a trust in you that is solid and sure, that we know that you will never leave us that you'll never forsake us, that we might be the people of whom the world is not worthy, and that you would, God, we, and we want to always pray for the victory, that you would work miraculously, but we want to have the depth of faith that even if not, we're still going to trust you, we're still going to walk with you, and we pray it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.